Good morning. How's everybody? Um, let me ask you a question. Whose chair is this? No, it's not my chair. I just brought it. Whose chair is this? Well, that's a good answer. God's chair. Who? God's chair. Who? God's chair. Yeah, this is God's chair. That's exactly right. Even though it's an empty chair, it doesn't belong to me. It belongs to God. Whose table is this? Oh, now you're kidding me. Right. Whose building is this? God's building. Now, whenever you're in God's building, simply God's chair at God's table, that means that the welcome man is out, and you are welcome to where you are. So I don't have to tell you welcome. All I have to do is say, glad you're at home. Enjoy this time together. Uh, enjoy the church service. Enjoy the food. But most of all, enjoy each other and enjoy the Lord. Thank you. Good morning. Let us be in an attitude of prayer. Good and gracious God, we come into your presence on this today that you have made. We come with humble hearts, happy hearts, hearts full of thanksgiving. We thank you for this gathering here. We thank you for each individual that has set aside time to come and to worship you. We ask your guidance and your presence with each speaker, each participant. And we just ask, oh God, that you would bless us, bless our efforts, and just bless us to continue being your children. I am reminded, dear Lord, of the song that says, when all of God's children get together, what a time, what a time, what a time. These things we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, all. I'm a member of Barnett Chapel, Barnett Chapel United Methodist Church, and I just came to sing a song for you. Change me, oh God. Make me more like you. Change me, oh God. Wash me.
peace and love from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It is indeed with great joy that I stand in your midst today as we, the sons and daughters of the great our God, have gathered ourselves in this sacred space. In a few minutes from now, we will sit down at the table of brotherhood. We will break together the bread of life, and we will drink from the fountain of living waters. And we will be a testament to the word that all of God's children are welcome in his presence. Healing the multitudes. For Matthew chapter 15, verses 29 and 30. And departing from there, Jesus went along by the Sea of Galilee. And having gone up to the mountains, he was sitting there. And great multitudes came to him, bringing with them those who were lame, crippled, blind, dumb, and many others. And they laid them down at his feet and he healed them. Here we are, gathered for worship. Three churches in one place. We have survived a global pandemic. We've been shocked by the number and frequency of mass shootings that have occurred in our society. All of us are broken, afraid, and uncertain about the future of our society. Like the multitudes in our texts, we bring our lame, crippled, and blind souls to Jesus. We, too, stand in need of healing. Our text states that those who came to Jesus brought others with them. They came as a community in need of healing. Some of us have been lame by walking the wrong path. Some of us crippled bad decisions that we've made in life. Some of us are still blind to the truth that we are all bound together in the garment of our humanity. Dumb enough to think that by doing the same thing, we're going to get a different result. Like the multitudes in our texts, we come today to the feet of Jesus. We come to be healed. The invitation has gone forth. Come unto me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Amen.
Morning. Morning, there we go. I have a story for you, and it's a lame story. I'm gonna give you a, uh, a warning right off the bat. But there was a string. Yes, there was a string, and the string walked into a restaurant. And he goes in, and he pulls out a chair from the table, and he sits down at this chair, and he sees the waitress walk by, and she, he says, ma'am, can, can I ask you for a menu? And she says, I'm gonna have to ask you to leave, sir. It is our strict policy that we don't serve strings here. And the string put his head down and walked out of the restaurant, went out to the sidewalk, and he had an idea. He kind of frayed up his hair a little bit. He tied himself in a knot, and he walked right back into that restaurant. He pulled out the same chair, sat at the same table, saw the same waitress, and said, ma'am, can I ask you for a menu? And she said, aren't you the same string that just walked in here? And he said, no, ma'am, I'm afraid not. <laughs> Thank you. That does not deserve applause. I appreciate it. No. It's amazing what we'll do to be accepted sometimes, isn't it? It's, it's amazing how much we'll change and how, much we'll, how, how things will change in our lives and how we'll try to do things differently just to feel accepted by certain parties. And so I want to talk a little bit today about one of Jesus' most famous teachings, one of his most famous parables. Uh, maybe a second most famous parable, of course the parable of the Good Samaritan might be the most famous, but the parable of the prodigal son is probably right up there with it. I'm going to talk about that for a minute, but before I do, let's talk about why Jesus is talking about the prodigal son. Why? Well, it's because these Pharisees who are those people who will do anything to be accepted, right? The Pharisees who are looking at the Old Testament law, the Pharisees who are following to a T everything that was written in the books of Moses, right? And sometime between when they were written and when the Pharisees came to be, they had lost the reason behind it. And so they were blindly following these old customs and laws, and Jesus challenged them several times over and over, challenging them, but why do you follow these things? But the Pharisees just wanted to do what they felt would help them be accepted, and that's follow the laws of the Old Testament. And so as Jesus, we see in Luke chapter 15, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled. They said, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Now, Back in the day, back in Jesus' time, eating with somebody was the ultimate form of acceptance. And so in the eyes of the Pharisees and scribes, who were the goody-two-shoes, who were the ones tying themselves in a knot and praying up their hair, trying to impress God, are saying, wait a minute, why are we trying so hard? And Jesus is here eating with tax collectors who are known to be lying, cheating thieves and sinners. And sinners could be a broad array of things. Anyone who would have not followed the law specifically, it could have likely been that they were Gentiles or Greeks who were uncircumcised. And that was a big no-no for these rule-following Pharisees. And so Jesus hears these complaints. Why is he eating with them? And he follows it up with three stories, two really short ones. One, he says there's a shepherd. He has a hundred sheep. One sheep gets lost, and he leaves 99. And he says, I'm going to go find that one sheep. 
And what happens when he finds that one sheep? He gathers his neighbors, he gathers his friends, and they celebrate together that he's found the sheep that was lost. And he says, so it is in the kingdom of heaven when sinners repent. And he goes back and he says another story. He says, maybe you're not a working class male. Maybe, especially in Bible times, maybe you're a stay-at-home wife, so let me address everybody. What if you're a woman who's at home and has ten coins and loses one of them? Are you not going to sweep your dust floor? Are you not going to light your dim candle and probably not have much window light, if any? Are you not going to search high and low until you find that one coin? And what happens when she finds that one coin? She, she takes some phone calls, she texts her friends, she puts out a Facebook event and makes sure everybody is there to celebrate with her that the coin that she had lost is now found. And so it is with sinners who repent. And then Jesus talks about the story of the prodigal son. And he simply starts out by saying, there was a man, a father, who had two sons. An older one and a younger one. By, I mean, naturally, right? You got two sons. You got an older one and a younger one. Even twins, right? One's technically older than the other. And he says, the younger son said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. Now, the father was always going to give his son something when he passed. He was always going to leave an inheritance. But by doing this, the younger son is looking his father in the eye. And he's saying, I wish you were dead. Your property is worth more to me than your life. So just give me what you owe me, and I'll be on my way. And this is automatically like a perfect villain for the Pharisees to hear about. And not only that, but he takes his inheritance before his father is gone, and he goes into a faraway land. And who's the audience? The Pharisees and the scribes. And think about it. Someone disassociates himself from Jewish culture, from the Israel way of life, and goes into a far distant, unclean land. A perfect villain. Not only that, after he squanders away all of his uh, inheritance that his father had given him. He is looking for a job. There's a famine in the land. He's hungry. He starts feeding pigs. And he's so hungry, he wishes he could eat the slop that the pigs were eating. And who's the audience? The Pharisees. And the dirtiest of all animals is the pig. The unclean, nasty, disgusting, filthy pig. Pork is completely off the menu for Jewish culture. And this son has spat in his father's face, told him he wishes he was dead. He's gone and has disassociated himself from Israel culture in a faraway land and by dealing with pigs. This is the perfect villain. And then Jesus begins to flip it. And he said the son had a change of heart. He sat there hungry and he decided, my father's servants have more than I do. What am I doing here? I'm going to go back to my father. I'm going to tell him, I sinned against you. I sinned against heaven. Please do me the honor of just making me a slave. I don't even want to, I don't even expect to be your son. I don't deserve that. Just make me a servant, please. And so he gets up and he goes, and what happens next is absolutely unbelievable in this day and age. 
Here's what happens in verse 20 of Luke chapter 15. The son arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Now let's think about culturally and contextually again. An older oriental man running for any reason, especially one who seems to have had a high social class and socioeconomic status, running for any reason was shameful. And in an honor-shame society, shame and honor were everything. This man embarrassed himself, humiliated himself by running, especially toward his son who had disrespected him so much. And he embraced him. He wouldn't let his son fall to his knees and beg like he had planned to do. He said, no, you're going to look me in the eyes. You're going to stand with me. You are my son and you belong here. And he kissed him and accepted him. And the son begins to say what he was going to say. He says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. Similarly to how the woman celebrated when she found her points. Similarly to how the shepherd celebrated when he found his sheep. And what's really awesome here is the father brings a robe and says, you're my son. I am going to give you lavish gifts. You are not just my servant. You are my son. He gave him a ring, which was a symbol of authority in this culture. And he said, you're not a, subserv a subservient. You're not below me. <laughs> Whatever I was trying to say, you know what I'm trying to say. You're not below me. You are my son. You have power here. You belong here. And he gave him shoes for his feet because slaves went without shoes. But my son will wear shoes in my house. And this perfect villain that the Pharisees had to have been thinking about, like, this guy is the worst ever. How in the world is the father accepting him? Now we hear one little tidbit about the last character of the story, the older son. And the older son... Um, in, verse, in verse 20 of chapter 15, uh, verse 28, but he was angry and the older son refused to go in and celebrate. So his father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, okay, the younger son, even when he told his father, I wish you were dead, he addressed him as father and respected him in that way. The older son doesn't even do that. He just says, look, here's the deal. These many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. What about me, Dad? I've been here the whole time. You forget about me? This son of yours, which I'm not even going to call myself part of your family anymore. I don't even know what's going on. But this son of yours and that weird family over there, you're going to let him back in? You're going to give him all of that? What about me? Don't I deserve that? And the father responded in the same way. Your brother was lost and is found. He was dead and is now alive. 
on wholeness. And when I look through this story, I see a little bit of this. Because what is this? It's a small glimpse, a small picture of what the kingdom of heaven might actually look like. God doesn't know denominational borders. God doesn't know language barriers. God doesn't know, doesn't care what part of the world you come from, what part of the city you live in. God doesn't care what your skin color is. God doesn't care what your social class is. God doesn't care about anything, but he hugs you. He embraces you. He looks you in the eye and says, you belong here. And it is up to us to do the same for our brothers and sisters. Yes. So as you look around to your left, to your right, behind you and in front of you, you're going to see faces today you don't recognize. And how wonderful is that? Because when the kingdom truly comes, you will know everybody. Everyone is your brother and sister. And you will embrace and you will say you are not beneath me. You are not above me. We will hug. We will see eye to eye. You have authority here. You are welcome here. This is our Father's house. Let's be whole together. Amen. Let's pray. God, bring this wholeness. This wholeness that, you, that we so long for, God that you portrayed to us in this story, God. We know you accept us for who we are. We pray that as we come together today, we welcome one another in your name as brothers and sisters. Amen. Amen. Uh, next, we're going to have the choir from Mount Olive Baptist Church.
and y'all were quiet earlier, so I'm pouring, I'm sitting on y'all. If you have experienced the favor of God, would you just take a moment to praise him in any way you see fit? Whether it's passion or blessing to be a part of this kind of community? Yes. yes. Isn't it just marvelous, wonderful, great, when you think about the different communities that you come from and how God had to bring you out of your own little cubbyhole and let you see something beyond you? Amen. Doesn't it just make you feel just wonderful? Hallelujah. When you stop and you think about the price that was paid to allow you to come out of a dead community into a living one, not yes, just a dead God. to a living, but one that's eternal. Yes. I am given the blessed task to talk to you about community, and every time I think about it, tears well up in my eyes because I realize I don't have to be in this gathering. I don't have to be a part of the raw priesthood. I don't have to be a part of the community of faith. But God chose me. Amen. Yes, he did. It's a funny thing about doing stuff like this because when you initially get in here, y'all worked up and you're worried about what people are going to think, but as soon as you get into it and start being focused on God, you just forget about all that stuff. That's history. But this is not. Y'all going to get this in just a minute. I really don't, don't care about, about Say's attempt to make things look weird. So if you had to define community, how would you define it? People with like-mindedness, a gathering of people that sets their norms together and they follow their norms, how would you? The family values are in place, absolutely. How would you describe it? You would throw all these different characteristics in it. And can I tell you that's perfectly okay as long as you know that you're not going to stay in that particular community. As long as you know there are no Republicans and Democrats in heaven. Preach. I'm just As long as you, close, you understand there's not a rich or poor in heaven. And if God calls you out of all those material thinkings, all those social thinkings, all those economic thinking, into a whole different thinking, how would you receive that? Would it be a struggle to let go of those different values and hold on to the new value that he's proposing to you? People, don't get this twisted. You can go to church all you want and still not be a part of the community. 
Amen. Say that. But until you release the things that keep you grounded to this world, and you grab hold of the unseen, because the unseen have these values for you, that you have faith to believe that they're on their way, or that they're in place right now, until you grab hold of that, then what I'm about to read does not apply to you. How many brought your Bibles with you? Okay, see, I, I knew, I knew. Hey, don't look at me and say, man, don't do that. <laughs> Let's go to 1 Peter. I mean, there are tons of scriptures about community, okay? But I just, God, I just feel God led me to, to this one. So we'll, we'll use this. Tons of scriptures. 1 Peter. Or the back of your Bible. Second chapter. Thank you. Roger just trying to tell me. I'm, okay. Let me confess why y'all doing that. I'm a walking preacher and I normally have headphones on and I'm all over the place. I'm probably walking down your road. Get a by microphone. Now. So y'all making me stand still. That's not a good thing. Microphone. First Peter, second chapter, verse nine. And I'm gonna really drag you through the mud because I'm going all the way through the verse eleven. Let me know when you're there. Okay. Let me know when you're there. How y'all gonna let me know when y'all there? Y'all look at me like, I don't read minds. I got Okay, amen. Amen is a, is a, is a, a word of agreement. It's, just, it's okay to say amen, it's all right. Okay. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special procession, possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into this wonderful light. His wonderful light. Let me make this part a little bigger. I might read it better. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Hang on to this. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Amen. Amen. Now, if you really want to get into it, you read that whole chapter and it, it will just blow you up. But for the brevity, because I only have 10 minutes, which is impossible for a Baptist preacher, I am going to push myself to declare this to you. You have been changed. You are no longer the self that you thought you were. I'm talking to those that have confessed Jesus Christ as Lord. I'm talking to those that have realized that God's been working in your life all along. You are a raw priesthood. You're the extension 
of the Davidic covenant. You're a part of the new Israel that God has formulated. And guess what, y'all? We're on our way somewhere. Every day that God gives you, this raw priesthood has a job to do. We're a part of a community of faithful people that work for our master. Amen. And our work is guided on how we present ourselves. Our work, I told you before, does not have color on it. It does not put a price on it. It does not have a social norm that people of this earth will ever respect. As a matter of fact, God says that the norms of the world are going to hate you. But the reason why they hate you is because you're a part of the community of heaven. And trust me, they know the community of heaven. They just don't want to say it. You are a peculiar creature. The reason why you're peculiar, you left the community that you were in. Okay, true confession. How many of you lost a lot of friends since you discovered Christ? You can raise your hand in here, it's okay. How many of you have, have left behind some of the behaviors that used to so easily give you comfort because you're a part of a new community? How many of you had to turn away from drugs and alcohol and turn away from sexual immorality? And I know I can just go down your road if I really wanted to. That's not, I don't have to time for that. I just need you to remember who you are. You're a part of a heavenly community and you're on your way back home. But every day God gives you, God has already decided your challenge. God has already decided what you're going to have to overcome for the day. And he's already decided that he's going to clean you up every day you wake up. Yeah. Every day you work up, wake up. You ought to be saying, thank you, God, for the new mercies I see. Yes. Yes. Thank you, And trust me when I tell you this. There is no age barrier on this. I know you want to say there is, I get it. I'm not trying to mess with nobody's doctrine, but God calls who we choose. And the fact of the matter is this, God can make a young one shout out. Now, if he can make rocks cry, you know what he can do with somebody with a mouth. And so as we walk and we're part of this community, we have to look at ourselves and we look at each other and we have to figure two things out. How do we bless God? And how do we bless our neighbor? Y'all already know what I'm referring to. If you're a Bible, you understand it. Every morning I get up, I have to be focused on, because I'm a part of this community, I have to be focused on how do I bless God? Amen. And how do I bless my neighbor? Yes, I'm talking about the neighbor you can't stand. How do I bless my neighbor? Yes, I'm talking about that person on your job that talks too much. How do I bless my neighbor? This is how you do it. You focus on God first, and then everything else follows. Amen, it does. You somebody got on your last nerve. You were ready to pull your hair out, and you were ready to give them a piece of your mind, although you don't have that much to give. You were ready to give them a piece <laughs> of your mind. But before you spoke, you focused on God. And God changed your word. You walked into a situation where somebody is ill and they look like they're on death's door. But you walked in with a heavy heart. 
but you focused on God first. And suddenly what was dark turned to light. You focused on God first, and as you focused on God, the closer you got to the person that was in pain, God started changing your word. God told you to speak life instead of speak death. God told you to speak the promises instead of speak the situation you saw. Anybody been there? You, you look at another situation, you have your last dollar bill. And there's a person that needs something that costs a dollar. Okay, let me bring it more to home. You ran across a person that needed a car, and you have an extra car. Uh-oh. Thought I knew they'd get quiet on that. That's too much money. And God turned around and told you, bless them with the car. So a friend of mine, he and I went to undergrad together. We, in fact, we went to high school together, middle school together. We were all in choir together. I love that man. He stands about six foot tall. And when he stands and he preaches, it's just, it, I get goosebumps just thinking about how he preaches. He's in, he's in Oklahoma right now with a large church. How he got there was really beautiful. He changed communities. In undergrad, I'm not going to take you through what we did. Somebody get, somebody keep a, who's the timekeeper? I tell you, I'm a Baptist preacher. Y'all better get real. Who's the timekeeper? Thank you, please. Cue me. Cue me. Anyway, Alan Ray Marks will tell his story. He'll tell you that he was border, bordering suicide because he couldn't understand it. Raised in a religious family, dad's a pastor. Here we are in undergrad. I think everything's okay. He's smoking weed and living out there, and I'm looking at everybody like they're crazy because I'm just different. But he says, one day it's raining heavy and he's just walking and he's tired of playing church. He's tired of being a part of that community that plays church and all the norms of church. And he says, I'm just walking, I can't handle it anymore. And he's walking down the street and he, he, he talks to God. Remember I said God first? He talks to God. And it, then when he talks to God, this is what he says to God. He says, God, I can't handle this no more. I'm at that point now, God, where either you're going to prove yourself to me or I'm just going to end it all. Watch how he speaks to music. He's speaking that, but he's talking to the God of life. And he hey. says, all of a sudden, something came over him. And he said, he, he just started walking. He said, I got to go. I got to go. He calls me and says, no, I'm leaving. I said, what do you mean you leave? I didn't even know he was going to drama. I, I'm going to Tulsa, Oklahoma. I said, what do you mean you're going to Tulsa, Oklahoma? I know that between the two of us, we don't have two nickels to rub. How are you going to get to Oklahoma? And he says, I don't know. I'm just going. I hadn't heard from him in months. Didn't know. He called me in months. He said, Noah, I'm at Oral Roberts University. Watch God work. He says, I just got up. I started hitchhiking. I took what little bit I got, and I found myself in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I went to the dean of students. I told him who I was. I told him I was in Tulsa University. And okay, thank you. And he said this. And I don't have no money. The dean looked up and said, "I believe God called you here. We're gonna pay for a ride." And now he stands and he preaches the word of God. Y'all hear me? Lord, And God gives you that kind of authority. God gives you that kind of power. God gives you those kind of things that changes not just your life, but the lives of people around you. 
today, because I only have 30 seconds, I have to look at you and ask you, are you that raw priesthood? Are you really that raw priesthood? Are you bound by the things that man say you can and cannot do? Or do you have authority to speak in the name of the Lord and stand as victorious people and to look upon things that are not and speak it as though it is and watch it become different by the power of the Holy Spirit? Are you that people? If you are that people, then I'll say this. You know how you got here? Because one from the heavenly community came down. And the one from the heavenly community took on everything that kept us from being a part of that community. Put it on his back, put it on the cross, deposited it into an old bar cave, and then came out fresh and new and said, anybody that want to be new, you can be new too. Because he said, I came out with all power in my hand. And when I came out with all power, I stretched it across time. From the beginning of man to the end of man. From in the beginning to amen of revelation. And it's for every one of us to walk in that. And if you're doubting that today, if you're doubting that today, then it's time for you to face up. Stop playing games like you really got it going on. And just admit, hey, I have some doubts. And watch us talk to God for you. My time is up. But, but I say I'm trying to be obedient. But hear this. Please hear this. I, I need every minister up here with me for a hot second. If you're a minister, I need you up here with me for a hot second. If you are, if you are a minister, I need you up here with me for a second. Maybe if I sound like God a minute. All right, brother, we're here. There is no reason. I'm going to say this. There is no reason for anybody to leave here today without knowing who you really are. Doubt will prohibit your good works. Go back to Peter. Go back. Go back to Peter. Remember at the end? It says you need to show your good works? Yeah. Your neighbors are counting on you. Amen. It's the only way they're going to know which way is up. Amen. Start with God first. Amen. Yes. Amen. 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 That's right. And God's going to show you how to love your neighbor. Oh, yes, he will. I called him up for a reason. Because I, I haven't even read the program, I'm just notorious like that. But if there's somebody in here that has something going on that's prohibiting you from being that raw priesthood, don't be ashamed. We all came from where you up. Amen. Amen. You raise your hand and somebody's gonna come and pray with you. And that that, that y'all see, I tell y'all, y'all gonna come back. Somebody will come and pray with you. Amen. Yes. Because yes. when the Bible says that we are touching and agreeing. God does works beyond your imagination, that's what he really means. It's not marginalized. I'm done. Are you? I'm done. <laughs> For a second, if you need prayer, please hear the Holy Spirit say, raise your hand. Somebody will come and pray with you. They don't mind. You don't have to tell them what it is. Just let them pray with you. Amen? Amen. Oh, okay, I'm done, y'all. Amen. Man, 11 o'clock, wow. Uh-oh, Mount Olive, we're going to change now.
Good morning. Check. Hey there. That's more like it. Good morning, church. Good morning. Let's stand up. Let's shake it out a little bit. Let's praise God together this morning. All right. Well, I once was lost in sin, but Jesus took me in. And then lit a light from heaven filled my soul. Oh, soul. I was kidding. <laughs> Y'all know that song? Did you know that I did it wrong? Did you know that I started it way too high? It's okay. Ricky does that almost every time. Amen. <laughs> well, I once was lost in sin, but Jesus took me in. And then let light from heaven fill my soul, my soul. Don't you know that it made my heart in love and wrote my name in love. And just a little talk with Jesus made me whole. Jesus makes it right. Let us have a little talk with Jesus. 
Whenever I say three, I want you to say the name of your Lord and Savior. One, two, three. Jesus Christ. I didn't hear you. Let's try that one more time. One, two, three. Jesus Christ. Last time, church. One, two, three. Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Let's go ahead and have a seat. When Jesus gathered for the Last Supper, and as the Gospel writers make, as the Gospel writers record it for us, there's many things that happened in the week prior. There's many things that happened afterwards with this death, burial, resurrection. But Jesus came together with his disciples. And he took what was the holiest, the most important of the celebrations of the Jewish people, the Passover meal. And this Passover meal meant that they were once captives to a way of life. And that because of the Passover, it was the celebration of liberation from that life. And they became just as the Reverend just told us, a people. They became a people who were now free. They became a people who now were on a mission. And Jesus takes this meal and he says, yes, we remember what happened. Just as we just remembered the time when we gave our lives to Jesus Christ. And we just confess that our Lord and Savior's name is Jesus. I pray that just as Jesus took that meal and he said, it is no longer about what happened in the past, but it is about who you are going to be in the present. And it is who you are looking forward to being in the future because of me. And as you take this meal, I want you to remember. And I asked myself, what if because of that meal, the world was different? And what if because of the meal we share today together, our lives are different? Amen. So I pray that as we take communion today, that this is a new start. That somehow the Holy Spirit works in our hearts. Not only in our separate congregations, but begins to again remind us that Jesus Christ and His power is what sets us apart from this world. That we are one body in Christ. We may meet in different places on Sunday morning or Wednesday nights or Tuesday mornings, but we are one body in Christ. And as we live as Christ's body, and as we spread the redemption, which is through His blood in our community, that June 6th will be a day that we look back on to see how God is bringing something together that is going to move forward to change this world. Not just for So Paul, Paul is reminding a group that is gathering in a city called Corinth in chapter 11, verse 23. He's reminding them what it is that they have done and what they're about to celebrate when it comes to communion. He says these words, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus 
On the night he was betrayed, he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. If you are, have confessed Jesus as your Lord, we're now going to take the bread together. If you do not have any, do we have any more? Okay, so if you don't have any, raise your hand and we'll bring some to you. So you can go ahead and peel back the, the covering from the bread and take the bread and we're gonna take this all together. Father, we take this bread and we give thanks just as our Lord and Savior did. We confess that because of your broken body, we can now be one body. That we are the body of Christ by your grace and by your mercy. We confess you as our Savior and we pray that you would be alive not only in our own personal bodies, but in your body as the church, Father. We confess we are part of your people because of the sacrifice your son made. We do this in remembrance of you. In his name we pray. You can go ahead and open up your cup and hold it. We're going to drink it together. Father, at the Passover meal, your son Jesus took the cup. And he proclaimed that this is no longer about a liberation of a country from another country. But it is about a liberation by our Savior into a new life. May this juice which represents your blood now be the blood that flows through our veins and allows us to live a life that honors you through our unity as one body and through our daily lives as you live through each and every one of us. We confess you as Lord and Savior and we take this cup in remembrance of you. I hope each of you has been as uh, blessed as I have been this morning. Uh, so in a moment, in a moment, we're going to uh, bring out some additional tables to place the chairs around. And we'll have some servers come to your table and you can order whatever you want. Your choices will be burger, hot dog, sausage. Then me myself. Burger, hot dog, jalapeno cheese, sausages that I personally have to make. <laughs> Let us pray. Father, what a glorious day. Thank you for your spirit which envelops this community of believers. Thank you, Father, for the cross upon which your son died to which we stand to inherit eternal life. Father, we pray that you would bless this meal 
as we sit together as we fellowship as this community. We pray, Father, that you would, uh, your spirit will be part of our conversation. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Everyone say it. Amen. Amen. Okay. Oh,